Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly dose of around 20 minutes or so from uh, those of us on the podcast call, giving you an update on what's going on in the hotel investment landscape uh, around Europe and further afield. My name is Chris Bowne, I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined as usual by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Uh, We've picked three topics to run through to uh, educate and hopefully, Andrew, hopefully entertain as well. Um, (laughs) Let's see how we get on. We're going to begin by taking a look at the extended stay or service department sector, um, where there seems to be uh, plenty of momentum coming off the back of a uh, comparatively resilient 2020. This question certainly over whether the uh, increased demand for sort of uh, self-contained space uh, during the pandemic will continue uh, into uh, the market as as the pandemic wanes away. There's, there's certainly a feeling that the pandemic opened up uh, the service department marketplace to a whole new uh, bunch of consumers who'd never thought about using it before, and perhaps that will uh, leave the, the niche set fair for the future. Uh, the big brands are all trying to kind of morph their, uh, their hotel brands into extended stay brands with uh, liberal use of the word residences added after many established hotel brand names. Uh, Louvre is, has launched Tulip Residences as an example. I think Radisson are up to the same and Accor also with several of their brands too. Um, and the word on the street from the agents is that there's still plenty of uh, funds about and they're very keen to invest in this space. So um, all looks set fair for those who've been quietly beetling away, believing in the niche uh, for the last few years. It's certainly the case that uh, this sector, the segment, the um, the niche has more focus on it than it's ever had before. And the Blackstone and Starwood Capital bid for extended stay America, six billion US dollars, is the biggest statement yet uh, in terms of the future of, of this niche. It still remains, and it should be stressed, it, it is significantly smaller than uh, the hotel sector. Um, Savills did a a study looking at uh, bed nights um, in the top 10 European gateway cities and whereas hotels were 85% of those bed nights this sector was only just over uh, well almost 8% Um, Airbnb was 7.3% so hotels still dwarf um, this segment and I couldn't continue to dwarf it. Also the segment is quite stretched because you talked about there Chris residences which much more in the sort of residential piece um, mm-hmm. all the way through to uh, extended stay offers which are much more hotel like in terms of what of what their offer is and indeed they are competing directly with hotels into for those short let guests now i think there's no question that the segment has a, a lot of growth in it yet um how how big it can get that that's it's a hard one to read. I mean, there was a thought initially, we saw this surge in the US where it has grown to be a very significant proportion of the overall short stay accommodation market that Europe's going to replicate that. Um, there's no guarantee of that, there, you know, that the European market is different to the US market, but I mean, it could actually be bigger than the, the US market, although that would be perhaps surprising, I think. But no question that for the next few years, we're gonna see you know, very significant growth. I mean, if you even in in which what 
would be seen as a more mature market for the extended stay offer. Um, the net unit growth at um, at the Blackstone and Starwood Capital new acquisition um, is five percent to seven percent. Um, with the extra capital that these two uh, firms are going to put into it, it's they're probably going to be looked for a, for, for significantly faster growth than that even. So it's clearly up there with at least where um, the, the, the best hotel brand companies are. Um, and in, in the European context, I, I would expect the net unit growth to be significantly faster than any established hotel brand. Um, there's still a few things to resolve in terms of you know what the offer is. There still isn't yet a a big brand along the lines of extended stay America in Europe. I mean, I think that is probably um, going to come at some point, but I think we're a few years away from that. And as it reaches that point, I think that that's really the next stage that's going to transform the transform the segment. It's a very exciting segment and has really benefited. Uh, uh, relatively during the pandemic from you know all, all the conditions um, um, which have hampered the hotel sector um, have actually relatively enabled um, the, the these sort of um, service departments extended stay so whereas hotels had to shut nearly all extended stay and service departments were able to stay open they classed themselves as as residential effectively and said look we're, we're going to stay open um, so that, that, that resilience I think would have caught the eye of investors and they'll like the look of that um, I hope to goodness we're never in a, another environment like we've currently gone through in terms of the pandemic so how relevant that is uh, I'm, I'm not so sure but as we come out of that there is it is clear um, indication that uh, even during the good times, extended stay has outperformed um, other hotel, you know, the, the more general hotel market. Um, certainly in the RevPAR context, that's the case. Extended stay America have, have demonstrated that in the US. Um, they, you know, the nearest to it is up a mid scale, but they were comfortably ahead of that um, in the decade um, prior to the pandemic. Um, so the we're, we're going to um, I, I think I think there's a you know a lot of interest there and as as it grows that's going to provide the I think unlock the key problem it faces which is the lack of liquidity lack of potential exit which is what's going to put investors off. We're going to talk about uh, the funds that are gathering in the market to spend on uh, hotels potentially distressed hotels that may be coming on the market in the next few months. Uh, Agents all around are telling us there's more money in the market than they've ever seen. And um, we've been having a look at some of the funds uh, across Europe and further afield that have gathered firepower uh, and are, well, some of them are just standing there ready um, with their big checkbooks open, ready to go. Others are starting to pick a few things off. Um, uh, in Spain, we've seen one or two things already happening. Uh, uh, outfit called Mazabi are already starting to buy. Um, we've got Azora waiting in the wings. Um, Schroders has gathered a substantial amount for the European Operating Hotels Fund, which they've yet to spend. Um, and uh, also we see further afield, as far away as Australia, uh, ProInvest, who have uh, done a lot of uh, building of IHG hotels, they've drawn together a fund which they are absolutely, in the, in the, in the manner of Australia's, bluntly calling a distressed hotel fund. Um, and then also we've had a word with um, some folks in Central Europe, 
uh, at Ott Ventures who are also gathered funds and are sitting waiting and running the rule over uh, potential investment opportunities. However, there's precious little in the market at cheap prices right now. So uh, for the while, it seems to be the funds are staying in the bank account. Yeah, I, th- I think in general, distressed funds are going to be disappointed if they are looking to buy at bargain prices. Um, the whole piece in hospitality, I think people are looking through the current um, shot to bits balance sheets. They're looking at 2019 numbers and pricing off those. And I think that's the right thing to do. There's possibly one or two uh, subsectors which are going to be slower coming back, which may be some bargains, but I don't think that's uh, um, the way to look at this. This is not a distressed opportunity. Um, what what really they should be thinking about, this is an opportunity to get into a, a market and into markets that have been difficult to enter previously, and there's going to be more chance to do that now uh, than there's ever been. The, the simple fact is there's so much money chasing deals right now. Um, <clears throat> in my comment piece on the article, I, I, I look at some data from Prequin, the uh, um, data provider for uh, private equity and alternative assets, and they estimate that uh, um, the collective amount of funds, a collective amount of money in over a thousand real estate funds, was three hundred and fourteen billion US dollars. It's an enormous pile of cash waiting there. In 2020 alone, 118 billion was raised. So, I mean, if you look at the overall pile now in, in private real estate assets under management, it's, it's over a trillion US dollars. Um, these are huge numbers um, and it shows just how much competition there is going to be ahead. So if you think you're going to go out there and buy, you know, for ATP in the on in the pound or eighty cents in the dollar, forget it. You're you're going to be paying um, full market value. There's there's simply no way around that. I mean, there's possibly going to be. I mean, some of the more complex structures uh, where there's ground rent, CMBS. Uh, that complexity is going to narrow the field of people interested in taking that on. That could provide opportunity. But also, I think repositionings is where it's, it. You're going to need to do the the heavy lifting. I think this is a time for specialists in our sector, funds with background in the sector um, who are going to come to the fore. Hence, I think the likes of Blackstone and Starwood Capital who have been there, done that, got the t-shirts several times over. They're the ones who are going to make make hay in this. It's not new entrance um, into this. Just had the numbers from HVS who've uh, done their latest hotel valuation index across Europe and they reckon values are down between 5 and 15 percent but of course that's theoretically <laughs> not uh, well quite that is absolutely I mean look at you know extended stay so you know that was acquired for double the amount it was valued at on the stock market um, so that, 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 so that, that I think shows you all you need to know in terms of how values are the going to uh, perceive to be able to move mm. up um, who is going to I mean a, a debt financier is not going to let it go for such a bargain um, even you know if they're sitting in control of it and equity's been wiped out um, I just don't see them letting it go for for a real bargain say as happened in the 1990s they're going to hang on and insist they get fair value and if you look at the expectations of investors um, they are anticipating that uh, uh, returns are going to head 
head south. So Prequin said um, that in the, in the three years to June 2020, the median annualised net return of private real estate funds was 5.7%. And the expectation is for this to go further down, not up. Um, so these where you hear about the 15 to 20% IRRs, that's for the birds, I think in most cases, that's just not gonna be the case um, un unless there's some you know, exceptionally lucky or um, um, very skillfully put together deal. Um, so I think by and large, we're, we're looking at much tighter, um, lower returns in terms of the deals coming out. And what, what you're really looking for are, are people who can um, build together businesses and do some heavy lifting in terms of repositioning and that sort of stuff, um, which is where the, the, you know, it's what private equity ought to be about, frankly, rather than simply, you know, buy it low, sell it high. Um, so this this is where we're, we're, where, where we're at. And this is how people, I think, need to look at this. And funds are uh, aligned with that sentiment as well. And they're, what they're talking about, look, here, here is an opportunity to build decent exposure in what is going to be a big growth sector for the future. Um, and it's quite marked just how different the outlook is in hospitality to say retail. Both sectors are bombed out, but retail has a structural issue going forward and um, the opportunities most probably are going to be repurposing um, retail assets. I think there's going to be comparatively little repurposing of hospitality assets. Um, but retail itself, I think, especially in the States, but you know, to, to, to a good degree in, in, in Europe too, um, there's going to be opportunity to switch and probably quite a bit of that retail could well come over to um, um, hospitality. Uh, 20 years ago, someone has suggested you came along for a weekend in Dubai. You'd probably have to look it up on the map, work out how the devil you were going to get there and then expect a very sandy experience sleeping under canvas and riding out to that tent on a camel. So uh, how times change. Uh, you know, Dubai is now a sort of go-to place for a, uh, a weekend of, of sun and sand and luxury. Um, and we've just been running the rule over the latest um, plans and aspirations put out by not just Dubai uh, to underline its further planned growth, but also its neighbor, Saudi Arabia, which now wants a big slice of the um, tourism pie as it looks at dwindling oil reserves uh, coming years and wants to kind of copy its successful neighbor in building itself uh, up as an attractive tourism destination i've already had a little bit of a punt into some of the uh, other middle eastern emirates um and in recent years have watched as those um rather luxury branded hotels seem to have defied um, logic and just sort of stood performing very poorly with with very little demand coming in so will these long-term plans deliver not just the uh, the infrastructure and the real estate but actually create demand such that people will want to come in ever greater numbers to this part of the world for a uh, a holiday or a short break it, it certainly won't be for uh, want of trying on the part of the authorities they've uh, put together some quite convincing uh, uh, master plans to grow the place and build whole new uh, areas of uh, tourism and uh, visitor attractions. Um, for Dubai, they're kind of well underway, so it's it's phase two. The Saudis, I've got a bit further to go. Mm, mm. 
it's interesting this this whole position what's happened in the Middle East uh, they, they will say be lucky rather than brilliant and, and certainly in, in the terms of the Middle East they, they've had a series of good luck I think um, so the oil is probably the first thing in the 60s that gave the cash of the development um, the second thing now in, in terms of how Dubai and uh, Abu Dhabi and to an extent Qatar have have grown it's their position uh, geographic position so they're sort of midway a good stopping off point between Europe and Asia ideal and that's enabled them to create these fabulous airlines um, all, all three of those uh, countries have have been able to develop you know uh, the, the best long-haul airlines in the business uh, with a with a great with great hubs and you know as as they shift millions of people uh, and Emirates of course is the most successful the now the biggest carrier of 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 passengers long haul well at least was until <laughs> the pandemic and no doubt will be when we when we come out of it um, um, the, the success of doing that has created a, a ready market for that stopover and with the stopover has then come actually as a destination in itself and Dubai has had huge success uh, building that and has become a destination in its own right uh, and now it, it, it's got a, a very ser serious hotel economy. I mean you put it into context Dubai is sort of around the size of say a London it, it, it's a very significant um, hotel market now um, I've written many stories predicting the the you know uh, uh, apocalypse in in the Dubai hotel market because of oversupply, and they've always succeeded in in um, recovering. Um, I, I think this is probably they're at the most challenging time they've ever faced. I do think that there's going to be a number of years of quite difficult trading um, there. I think it's probably going to be even worse in Qatar, even worse in Abu Dhabi. Um, Qatar's massively overbuilt because of the World Soccer World Cup coming up. I think that's going to be very challenging. Ultimately though I think there is a, a reason for being for them for these countries in terms of their, their tourism um, offer. Um, I'm struggling much more with Saudi Arabia. Um, the kingdom has uh, is much much bigger geographically. Um, it, you know, it's it's not easy to stop off. You know, where is it you're going to stop off if you're going to stop off in Saudi um, for the weekend? Uh, it, it doesn't have that offer. It doesn't have the airline for a start to do that either. So it, it's trying to create itself as a destination in its own right. And um, given the strictures of the sort of lifestyle. In Saudi Arabia, I think it's got a, an uphill task. Um, the you know the lack of alcohol, the you know there's so many you know people. It's too uptight, frankly. I think to attract a big tourist element, um, you could argue that I mean, it already has a huge success with uh, um, religious tourism, obviously, um, and I think that one is sort of a, um, a guaranteed bolt on. I don't think there's any any issues there um, with 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 that aspect. But I think the wider tourism piece, if they're that is going to be a much harder struggle at the high end. Sure, I think there's some you know there's some fantastic offer, but, but in terms of a volume market, in terms of providing a significant number of jobs or a significant um, amount of income to replace as you suggest Chris the oil no I don't I don't see that um, so I, I think sure it's going to work and is working in Dubai um, there's going to we're heading for a distinctively bumpy patch in in, in the Emirates um, and in Qatar um, but but they I think will get over that and um, you know 
resume their growth in terms of the tourism piece. I just don't see tourism uh, being anywhere near as important in terms of the, for the development of, 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 of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I think the, the long-term picture there is going to require other bits of the economy to step up. Five-star and no-star awards. And uh, five stars go this week to the Hotelier's Charter. Um, they prove the look and feel and attractiveness of the hospitality sector uh, to potential employees. Uh, this was the idea of uh, Sally Beck, the uh, general manager at the Royal Lancaster Hotel in London, um, who uh, set up a week's uh, work experience for her teenage daughter at the hotel and for her teenage daughter's friend, only to have the friend's mother declare she wasn't going to let her daughter go and do a work experience in a hotel because she didn't want her ending up being a servant. Um, so uh, Sally was sort of stung into this and uh, when she was named Hotelier of the Year in 2019 made her, her acceptance speech a rallying call to the sector to um, do better. And so the, the Charter's uh, got some great aspirations and she is working uh, alongside her full-time job as general manager of a very, very busy hotel to drive the uh, drive the sector forward to improve its overall view uh, in, in to the wider public uh, but also to make sure its people are looked after better and brought on better. I think we're heading for a, a purple patch in terms of how the industry is perceived and I think it's going to um, to the point you've just made about that mother who didn't want to, 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 you know, don't put your daughter on the stage, don't put your daughter in, in the hotel reception sort of approach. Um, then, and the, I think those uh, prejudices um, are, are going to be challenged over the next few years. And there's a growing consensus that we've, we've over-rewarded people with with um, brains, with in terms of knowledge, um, and we need to start thinking about. Um, craft skills and um, in terms of caring skills much more and I think there's going to be a swing back into that. I think that the, the best um, book I've seen on this is David Goodhart with his head, hand and heart. David Goodhart um, in his roads to somewhere really um, I think caught you know and explains really well what Trumpism was about, what Brexit was about and this this next book I think captures uh, uh, I think that the, the, the next move where we're, we're heading as societies where we're going to have a rethink about um, rewarding people simply because they're, they're, they, they go to Oxbridge um, so much better than people who've gone to um, you know, catering college or whatever. Um, so I think there's going to be, a, a, a or, or nursing, or becoming nurses, I think we're going to have a rethink about that um, um, as a society and I think this this is very much you know part of that process and it's it's uh, Hotelier's charter is very much a five-star initiative I think. Um, on to our no star. Um, now I am getting more and more fed up with the nonsense being talked about in terms of business travel is doomed or at least is, is gonna never come back to how it was. So I, th I think the uh, the the big biggest bogeyman of this whole thing is Bill Gates with his prediction predictions that fifty percent of uh, corporate travel will never return. Absolute nonsense! <laughs> I don't think the man could be more wrong. 
um, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll put it on the line here. I think that in three years' time, we'll have more business travel um, than we had in 2019. Um, and I think it'll snap back quicker over the next few years um, than m most people predict. Now, I think we've said this many times before on this podcast, but it's it's worth repeating. The simple fact is that um, corporate balance sheets are stronger um, than they were at the start of the pandemic. So rather than say in, in 2008, 2009, there was a real recession, corporate balance sheets took a pounding, business travel, you know, was crawled back, um, understandably, because they were looking to keep costs under control. This is not the situation we have right now. This is not the situation we're coming in. Um, we're talking about um, growth rates we haven't seen for decades in terms of the overall economy. Businesses are want to get their going to want to get their people out there to try and grab a share of those growth that growth um, I, I simply don't see how they're not going to want to spend the money on business travel so I think that's going to come back a lot quicker obviously there's supply issues in terms of the you know international um, particularly intercontinental travel is very very problematic right now and you know you can't really see that coming back until well into 2022 um, but I, I think as we as we get to the position, even you know the the tortoise-like way in which um, the EU is vaccinating its people, that will get done by late summer. Um, at that point, markets begin to open up, and that's a key moment for business travel in that autumn period to start getting back at it and i think you know the the low-cost carriers are ready to snap into action we've got people like easyjet um, also looking to uh, uh, get into the, the the markets of the legacy carriers and, and to be there so we've, we're, we're going to have that that back in place at that point and i think that business travel will will get going much quicker than than people anticipate this you know this this idea that we're all going to carry on Zoom, God, I hate it, you know, and I think most people I talk to about Zooms, they hate it too, and you just don't form the same level of connection, um, yeah, sure, it's going to be a substitute, but we've heard all this before about video calls and, you know, the fax machine, the telephone, all of this stuff was going to end travel or end business travel or hugely decrease it, yeah, of course it didn't, and, um, and it just carried on growing, um, um, you know, at a, a good pace, and I think this is going to be the case. Um, now and 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 there is there is a parallel here with this pessimism about the office market as well and there's people are mixed up between um, corporates who are um, actually uh, cutting costs just generally therefore reducing space and corporates who have decided not to use space and I think we it's massively overblown the, the end of the office and the end of the um, corporate travel is is similarly wrong and we we will have a, a booming business travel market um so the, the uh, GBTA, the, the Global Business Travel Association, is talking about 2025 for a full recovery of business travel. It's going to happen before then. We're not going to have to wait that long. Um, I think 2023 um, will be pretty You heard it here there. first. We'll leave you on that positive note. Bye for now.